Hey, Forge family. In our last podcast, which was number 12, we were in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we began at verse 18. Um, and I'm going to read that for you just to start with. It says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So we began in that passage, and, and, and it clearly says the point of the death of Jesus was to deal with sins. And he took on himself and in his body on the cross the due penalty for all the sin for all time. So sin is not the issue any longer. That's been dealt with. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Okay? But in his, in his doing so, by taking away all those sins, he, he brings a way for us. He makes a way for us. He brings us into, he leads us into the presence of God. Where he restores us into fellowship with God. Eighty times in the New Testament, there's references to Christ being raised from death or out from among the dead. See, he was dead in the flesh. His human body was dead. But by Holy Spirit, he was made alive. And, and then we walked, if you recall, into verse 19, which is a very difficult passage, where it says, This alive in the Spirit, Jesus went and made proclamation in Tartarus, in this confined prison where God had placed um, rebel spirits, the fallen angels, if you will, who had disobeyed the order of God at the time of Noah and had created a race between mankind, the daughters of men, and the sons of God. And Peter seemed to think this was so important. He mentions it in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter because he wants us to understand God isn't messing around. He deals with all of his creation even-handedly. Okay, He's not going to overlook that, and he's not going to overlook us. Okay, In our case, we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Now, it says that when Jesus arrived in Tartarus with these fallen spirits, these spiritual beings, he didn't preach the gospel. It was not euangelion. It was not the gospel that he was preaching because the word about grace through faith means nothing to spiritual beings. It only is intended for human ears and human hearts. Instead, the word that Peter uses is that he made proclamation, a caruso, K-E-R-U-S-S-O is the Greek word. It's an official announcement by the representative of a government. And in this case, it was the government of God. And, and what was it that, that this, this proclamation was to these fallen angels who had violated God's order? It was, death is conquered, sin has been paid for in full, and Satan, your master, has been defeated. Likewise, the proclamation to us is, we belong to Jesus because he paid our debt for sin. And Jesus made a way back into fellowship and relationship with God. So let's pray for family, brothers and sisters that are scattered abroad, because uh, having stirred up uh, the last podcast, we need to be ready for where, where Peter's going in this next one. So, Heavenly Father, we ask you uh, humbly, Lord, um, please 
help us recognize the fact that we are bought and paid for. We belong to you. Thank you for, for your son making access into the presence of God. Lord, we praise you for, that, that for the, the plan you laid out before time, that this plan of salvation in Christ has been brought to us. We give you thanks. Now get us ready to learn. Get us ready to apply. Thank you for the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 4. We're starting chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So in these two verses, uh, they start with this word, therefore. So it's it, Peter's not stepping back to talk about baptism or about the angels, the things in the earth, above the earth, and beneath the earth that bowed the knee and, and uh, were subjected to Christ. No, he's going all the way back to verse 18, which where we started. Verse 18, it was Christ died for your sins once and for all. Okay, and, and when he did so, when Christ died once and for all for our sins, he did he suffered in the flesh, and but likewise, you know, he he ceased to you know, there was no possibility of sin. Okay? He was he was pure, he was righteous, he was holy, and there was found no sin in him. For us, you know, Peter turns and says, arm yourselves. Do likewise. Do what Jesus did. Now, he, Peter had a choice. He could have chosen the word for the armor that is, was worn by the cavalry. It was leather. Mostly leather. There were some iron studs, you know, but it was, it was basically so that they could ride the horse and be highly maneuverable. If you were a scout, you wore an entirely different outfit that was lightweight. It gave you some protection, but it wasn't designed to go into heavy combat. Instead, Peter chooses the word for heavy armor. The armor that the shock troops, the Greek shock troops would have worn. You know, the iron-clad sandals. Okay, maybe with a toe cap, all right? And, and, the, and the greaves, the, the, you, we, we would think of them like soccer guards. You know, you slide them down inside your socks when you, when you play soccer so you don't get kicked in the shins and fall over. Well, you fall over anyway, but you don't get the bruises, Okay. Um, but only these were made out of bronze. So they were made out of iron. They were heavy, but they were designed to protect your legs. You know, the, the leather skirt or the, the chain mail that hung down over that to protect your lower, your upper legs. Then there was a heavy shield and a sword and a javelin and a helmet. That would be the heavy armor that Peter was talking about. And Paul uses much the same illustration in, in his description about spiritual warfare. Okay? But he, Peter comes back and says, for this same purpose, arm yourselves so that when we too suffer in the flesh, we have to know that we've already gotten this release. We've already gotten cleansed from sin. That, that when Jesus died, the power of sin over us died with him. He broke that power of sin and his resurrection proves it could not hold him. So you have a spectrum here. You have, you have suffering 
where you might get scorned or or um, somebody might throw a spitwad at you or they might call you a bad word. And then across that spectrum is martyrdom where you're chopped into little pieces and burned and your ashes are scattered. Okay? There's a full spectrum of response there, all of which is taking place at this time somewhere in the world. Okay, for a while there, one pastor a month in Pakistan was being killed. Right, it's just a regular clockwork thing. But the pastors didn't, didn't flinch. They didn't leave the country. They kept preaching the gospel. All right, so here's your spectrum. You know, when you arm yourself and you prepare to suffer as Jesus did, you have to understand, okay, you have been released from the power of sin and and you're now going to begin to walk out in the will of God. All right? You don't have to serve the, the lusts of men, the strong desires here, because of the context, it's descriptive of an evil desire. Okay? But rather, what you do is you, you prepare yourself to walk in the will of God. Which is another way to say you walk in the sphere of the kingdom of God where God's will is done. All right, let's read chapter uh, 4, verses 3 to 5. It says this. For uh, the same, excuse me, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. But they shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. <clears throat> so Peter turns to his readers. These are people in the churches scattered up that road that ran from the Mediterranean all the way north to the Black Sea, right through the middle of what was modern-day Turkey. This was a circular letter. It went out to churches, and it was read and copied and thought on and prayed through and argued about. Okay? <clears throat> so, when we look at verse 3, what we've, we've used these words, we looked at these words and the, these gross behaviors in a previous podcast, but the last reference in verse 3 is what I want to look at this time, which is <clears throat> talks about abominable idolatries, or <clears throat> some translated detestable idolatries. Um, and there's actually a third, a third translation that says they were unlawful idolatries. So, in the first place, those who came to Jesus from a background as Jews, they understood there was no God except Yahweh. And now they say, and his son, Messiah, Jesus Christ. They understood that. So for, uh, for them to watch these idolaters, they were appalled. They wanted, they wanted nothing to do with it because that was worshiping something other than God. For the pagans who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, they said, they clearly understood it. They experienced that there was Father, Son, and Spirit, and none other. Anything else, any other worship, any other sacrificial system, any other cult practice, now, first, was an offense to God himself. And second, you know, we go back to that translation, unlawful idolatries, okay? In the Roman culture, these these were they were so gross they were so deviant that they were un, they were unlawful in the roman culture that must have made them truly disgusting and wicked 
Rome was really deviant. Okay, but they outlawed these other uh, unlawful idolatries. <clears throat> so and then in verse 4, it says, uh, the pagans around you, and, and, and they're he's talking about the around the readers, in the towns, in the, in the countryside, in the cities where these churches were that Peter had visited and he was writing this letter to, he said, they aren't going to get it, all right? They're going to be, when you don't run with them, when you don't participate with them, when you don't, you know, jump into the same deviant stuff, they're going to be surprised. They're shocked and they are offended, okay? And as, as a result, they will heap abuse on you. They will speak maliciously of Christians. You know, there's scorn and ridicule and laughter. You know, and I, I've talked to, to brothers and sisters from Argentina who grew up in churches in Argentina, and, and the, the local kids in the neighborhood, the, and men and grown men, were so violently opposed to evangelicals meeting in a, in a building in Argentina that they would throw rocks through the windows. They, they would throw, you know, there'd be a crescendo of rocks falling on the roof. You couldn't hear the, the sermon because the, the building was being rocked, <laughs> literally. You know, people threw bricks at them. All right. That's exactly what, what Peter's saying because you don't, you're not part of them. You've stepped apart and you become one with Jesus. Okay, these lost people react violently. So this week I read an article actually on a comedian actor uh, in Hollywood who used to party with Robin Williams and John Belushi. Now some of you remember who those who those men were, and and he talked about um, one night he was at this big party and Belushi pushed him to take cocaine. And he had responded, no, I'm not going to do that. And in short order, John Belushi died of an overdose of heroin and cocaine. He was gone. And just this last year, Robin Williams passed. And now this, this man was talking about the fact that he said his faith in God had brought him through all that stuff in Hollywood. Okay, See, that's exactly what Peter was writing about where you stand apart from that stuff that's going on around you. In verse 5, Peter uses the common saying in the early church uh, that either God, or in some cases Jesus, they're interchangeable, okay, was ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter used it once already in his sermon to Cornelius. You recall in Acts chapter 10, Peter had been uh, outside of Jerusalem, maybe for his health, <laughs> to stay ahead of the, the persecution in, in Jerusalem. But he was staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa. He was up on the roof, and uh, he had a vision, fell into a trance vision, and the Lord let down the sheet that was filled with foul uh, things that, that uh, no Jew would ever touch, no Jew would ever eat. And, and the Lord's voice said, take Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a practicing Jew. I would never do that. And the Lord said, don't you call unclean what I call clean. So Peter has put on notice that the Lord is changing the paradigm. And instantly, knock on the door. Downstairs, there's people who've come from Cornelius. He was a centurion, a Roman, who had asked Peter to come to his house because he was 
a man who was trying to be righteous. He was he was being generous. He was being, you know, he was really trying to get what this this God of Israel was all about. And for a Jew, practicing Jew like Peter, to enter a Gentile's house was forbidden, unthinkable, would never happen. And yet Peter went, aha, now I understand what the Lord was teaching. And he goes in and he preaches to Cornelius and his whole household. And in his sermon, he uses this phrase about God being ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, Peter uses it. Paul uses it in Romans and in 2 Timothy. And the Greek construction of that points to the fact that it is God himself here in this text who stands ready to be that judge over those who malign you, who are malicious to you, who cause you to suffer. Okay, now let's read verse 6, because here we are at another difficult verse in this, uh, in this letter of 1 Peter. Okay, verse 6 of chapter 4 says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So here we, here we go, another opportunity for theological argument. You know, there's at least four, you know, there's actually many more, but there's at least four possibilities here of what is talked about of the gospel being preached to the dead, even to the dead, okay? One of the possibilities is the gospel is preached to those who are dead in spirit, who are so given over to sin, there is no life in them. And the, and the preaching of the gospel bounces off. But I don't think that's it. Second, you know, those who say, well, you know, it's, Jesus went to, to preach to the Old Testament believers who had died and were waiting, and, and, and he brought them out, you know, and, and there's that account where he descends and brings out a host of captives, okay? But Hebrews says those Old Testament saints are in heaven. So I don't think that's the point either. Now, thirdly, okay, there are those men, there are those men, those women, if you will, those who gladly received the gospel. They heard it and they went, I want that. I will give my life for that. I want that kind of relationship with God. And they bowed their knee and bowed their heart and they received Jesus. And subsequently, either by natural causes or by martyrdom, by suffering for Christ and dying, they are now dead. Okay? That, and that is a possibility. That, you know, this is one of the, that what this passage talks about, that the gospel has been preached even to the dead. Okay? And then the fourth possibility is that um, the gospel is then preached to all the dead. That opens a, a, that opens a pack of worms right there. Because... Yeah, there are some who've taken the opportunity to use this one verse in the scriptures to craft a doctrine called the doctrine of the second chance. That you can party hard, you can, or you can live a good life, but just kind of dismiss Jesus. Um, you could be like the prodigal son who lived riotously and then suddenly, boom, all of you were dead. And then Jesus comes at some future date and presents you with the opportunity to receive him again. The gospel is preached to you again. Okay. The problem with that particular interpretation is it runs dead contrary to multiple verses in the scriptures. 
Uh, for example, Luke 16, verse 26, talks about an unbridgeable chasm that is fixed between heaven and hell. This was the story of Lazarus, the poor man, and he was called upon by the rich man who was in hell. Lazarus is in, in heaven. <clears throat> the, the rich man is in hell, suffering. <clears throat> and the rich man wants <clears throat> Lazarus to have someone sent <clears throat> to warn the, the rich man's brothers. And Lazarus said, can't do that because of this fixed gulf between heaven and hell. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time, not to bear sin to those who eagerly wait for him for salvation. Okay, guys, the point there is, um, the writer of Hebrews says, you die once, and then you're judged. So, I, I like to quote by Simon Kistemacher, who says, Scripture nowhere teaches that Christ makes salvation available to a sinner after death. So, it's this third interpretive possibility that matches the rest of biblical teaching. They were those who had heard the gospel, received it gladly, and then at some point had died and were now dead. In fact, the, the um, New International Version has inserted a word. They've, they've stepped from translation into interpretation to try and smooth this away. And um, they've added the word that says the gospel has even been preached to those who are now dead. You know, which points back to the fact that they heard that gospel in the land of the living. The result is, okay, those who heard the gospel received it. Now the result is they suffered in the flesh and they died, okay? But they live in the spirit according to the will of God. So, Forge family, Peter has returned in this text, okay, to, re to assure his readers that the death of Christ was for our sins. And that broke the power of sin in our life. At the very instant when we said, I believe in you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I give you my life. Okay? In verse 1b, the second half of verse 1, talks about those who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. Well, Jesus did that. He had to, you know, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He acquired his knowledge of the holy just like we do. All right? Only he didn't sin in the process. All right? In this situation, we have been set free from that power of sin. Okay? And he says, we've ceased from sin. Now, that was, again, not, you know, something we chose to do. It's a, it was a passive construction. We had nothing to do with, with accomplishing that. We just received it. And as a result of this breaking of the power of sin in our own lives, we are now free to not run with those who do sin. Yeah, earlier in the summer, probably two months ago, there was a, one of the young women at Forge, uh, we kind of had a symposium, if you will, of, the, of our young people saying, you know, uh, what is it that's really pressing in on you? And she said, you know, it's really hard sometimes when... All my friends turn and go 
that way after something that I won't do. See, but that's exactly what Peter's talking about here. The apostle says that is how we all are to stand in the Lord. So, Forgies, arm yourselves with the same purpose that Jesus had to stop being vulnerable to sin. Then, if suffering or scorn comes your way, you can know that you've made the right choices. God bless you. We'll see you soon.